All right. So it was good to be with you guys. My name is Matt Carter. I am the guy that started this church about 15 years ago, and I serve as the pastor of preaching here at the Austin Stone. We're so glad you came. And um, if you brought a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open it up to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 25 today here in just a minute. If you don't have a a Bible, that's fine. We're going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. And um, this Sunday is, this Sunday and really next Sunday, there's kind of some debate out there as to which actual Sunday it is. But we're celebrating this week Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we're going to do this um, every week from here on out, um, unless the Lord leads us differently. Uh, We're going to be talking about why we as believers value life, why we value life. And, and that's what we're gonna be looking into. And, and, and we're gonna look specifically at the subject today of abortion. Now, I've never, I've never talked about abortion in all my 15 years. I've never spoken on it. But we're gonna look specifically at kind of the uh, biblical foundations, if you will, for why we as a Christian people, why we as a church value the sanctity of life. Now, before I get, I get into this, I wanna say a couple of things to you that I think are pretty relevant before we talk about this very, very touchy issue. And, and here's the first one, and that's this. It's important for you to understand something about me, and it's, support, it's important that you understand something about the leadership of this church, and specifically what we believe about the Bible. Before I talk about anything about the, the issue or subject of abortion, I want you to understand what I believe about the scripture, and what I believe about the scripture is this, that it is absolutely 100% true. Believe that the Bible was written by men, but it was written under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, because we believe that it was written under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit in its original man- manuscripts, believe it's 100% reliable, And therefore, again, it's 100% true. Now, because of that, excuse me, because of that, what I believe about the Bible, that informs everything about my worldview. The scripture informs everything about my worldview. All of my beliefs, all of my beliefs, and therefore the way that I live my life is filtered through the lens of scripture, right? That you need to know that before we jump into anything. Um, and, and, and now that brings us to this, something else I want to say. Because all of my beliefs and therefore all of my life is filtered through the lens of Scripture, the subject uh, of the sanctity of life is not primarily a political issue for me whatsoever. It's a biblical issue for me. Does that make sense? And so my beliefs about what we're talking about today come from what God believes about what we're talking about today. My worldviews on abortion, my worldview on race relations, my worldviews on any sanctity of life issue does not come from Fox News. It does not come from MSNBC. It doesn't come from a, a, a Republican Party or Democratic Party. My views on abortion don't come from, from the President of the United States. My, my views on abortion don't come from the, um, from the Supreme Court of the United States. My views on abortion come exclusively from the Word of God. They come exclusively from the Word of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who right now is very much alive and sits on his throne and who will come back And every single one of us, every man and woman that's ever lived will stand before that throne and we will give an account for our lives. And so my view about what we're gonna talk about today comes from the scripture. And if you're a believer of Christ, so should yours, 
all right? And so here's what I wanna do today. I wanna look at what the scripture says about the sanctity of life and why life has value. And we're gonna apply that at the end and we'll be done. It's a really short message today, so listen carefully. Genesis chapter one, verse 25. It says, and God made the beasts of the earth, and this is talking about the creation story. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good. So what's going on so far? God's made the earth, God's made the animals, God's made the fish, he's made the birds, he's made everything and he said it is good. Now look at verse 26. He said, then God said, let us, that's the Trinity, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, there's something absolutely critical that we just read in that passage that informs us why we should value human life specifically. If you've ever wondered why in the world Christians are so up in arms about the issue of abortion, church, this is it. And it's in Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Let's read it one more time. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so what God just said in Genesis is this, is that when he created man and woman, listen, he created us differently than every other other single part of creation. I'm gonna say that again. When God created you and God created me, when he created Adam and Eve, He created us absolutely differently than every single other part of creation. And here's what it is. Um, It says that he created us in his image and he created us in his likeness. That's the difference. Now, the word image, the word image in the Hebrew is the the Hebrew word teslem and the word likeness is the Hebrew word demut. Now listen, both of those words refer to something that is similar to, but not identical to, the thing that it represents. Those two words, image and likeness, it means that they're similar to, but they're not identical to, the thing or the person that it represents. And so what what God and what the scripture is saying to you and me today is that God created you, and he created me in such a way that although we are not identical to God, we are similar enough to God that we represent God. God. God created uh, a man and he, he created woman so that we would be representatives of him. There are certain aspects of God's character that animals cannot represent. They cannot represent his holiness. They, they cannot represent his love. God created you and me uniquely so that there would be aspects of his character that you and I would represent. And therefore, when he got to us, after he'd created everything else, he said, I'm gonna create man and I'm gonna create woman and they're gonna be in my image. They're gonna be in my likeness. We were created to represent him. Now, here's what that means. We are the only part of creation that represent him. We're the only part of creation that it says 
that we were created in his image and his likeness. Angels are not created in the image and the likeness of God. Angels are awesome. They're amazing. Uh, Gabriel, Michael, I love, I love those two guys. I'm looking forward to hanging out with them in heaven. That's gonna be cool, amen? That's gonna be awesome, but they were not created in the image of God. The scripture doesn't say that. Um, animals, I'm gonna upset some people here in a second. Animals are not created in the image of God, and therefore they do not represent God the way that you and I represent God, okay? Now here's what that means, and again, what's about to come out of my mouth is, is coming from the place where my worldview is from the scripture, all right, not the culture. What that means is that humans intrinsically have more value than animals. That's what that means. Right? Now, that doesn't mean we don't protect animals. Doesn't mean we don't stand up for the rights of animals. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says that a righteous man cares for the needs of his animals. That's a verse that I have to quote to my wife all the time when she wants to shoot my schnauzer, right? That it's, we care, we care for the needs of our animals, but here's the thing, what the, what the Bible's saying to us is, is as valuable as animals are and we're called to care for them, they do not possess the value of human beings. You know, one of the phrase, phrases that you hear a lot in the culture today is um, the phrase, well, we're all just animals. We're all just animals. And, and biblically speaking, <clears throat> biblically speaking, that can't be further from the truth. Because again, the single solitary part of all creation that can claim that we bear the image and the likeness of God and therefore are the representatives of God and his character and his love and his holiness are not dogs, not bald eagles, not whales, not dolphins, not apes, not monkeys, and certainly not cats, amen? (laughs) Did y'all know did y'all know, I wouldn't even say this, true story, just hit me, did y'all know that the cat is the only domesticated animal that's not in the Bible? Just something to think about right there. <laughs> true story. It's like eight people just got up and left the room. Now, it, it, and one of, the, one of the greatest lies, listen, one of the greatest lies that the, that the enemy, that Satan has ever gotten human beings to believe is that humans are no more important than animals. And therefore, we don't have intrinsic value. Um, Back when I was in my late 20s and I just moved to Austin here to plant the church, Jennifer and I were trying to witness to our our neighbors and finally got in a conversation with with the neighbor. I don't know that I would have, I don't think I would handle this conversation the same way I did then. I think I would handle it much differently now. But I want to share with you this story um, because I think it sheds light on just kind of how far we've gone as a culture from from really valuing human life. And my neighbor came up to me and he shared with me that he and his wife were thinking about having an abortion. And, and um, they talked about how their child was, that was conceived. They said they couldn't, he said, he can't, we can't afford it. We both work. Um, he said at one point, I, th- I think he used the word inconvenient. And, and th- again, this is what I said to him, and I don't know that I would do this the same, but we had a tree that we shared between our two yards, and I and I said, if you know, if if I had a if there was a bald eagle's nest in that tree that we share, and there was an egg, a bald eagle egg in that nest, and and the and the mother bald eagle was like going to the bathroom on my car, would it would it be okay for me to to destroy the egg so that the bald eagle's mother would would leave and. 
And he got this look on his face, look, of course not. Of course you can't do that. And I said, well, okay, so what you're saying to me that, is, that because of the inconvenience of a child, it's okay to destroy the child. And, and he said, well, I've never thought about it that way. You know, and, and I get that there, there are many reasons why women make this decision other than a child is inconvenient. I get that. But I chose to share that story with you because one of the greatest, again, one of the greatest lies that I think humanity has ever been sold by Satan is that we as humans do not, because we are human, have value. And, and somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, we've, we've raised the value of animals to that of humanity, and that's not how God created us. Okay, church, listen to this. The fundamental and foundational reason why we as believers place such a value, such a high value on human life is because regardless of how old you are, Regardless of how young you are, regardless of how big you are, regardless of how small you are, regardless of how strong you are, regardless of how weak you are, the reason that we place such a high value on human life is because the Lord God Almighty placed such a high value on human life. In verse 26, again, it says, then God said, this is after all of creation, <clears throat> he said, then God said, let us make man. Let us make man in our image. And in our likeness, and let them, let man, man and woman, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. All right? And so that's kind of the foundational principle, kind of step one for why when we're, when we're talking about the issue of the sanctity of life, we understand that we have value as humans because we are image bearers and therefore representatives of God. Now here's the other, other scripture that I want us to look at today that informs us on why we value um, life. And let me give you the context here. It's in Psalms chapter 139, verse 13, if you wanna turn there. Psalms 139, verse 13. And the context here is that King David is speaking to God. He's praying. He's having a prayer to God, and he's, he's kind of, he's, it's, it's almost like a song. He's, he's praising God, and he's saying all these things about who God is and what God has done. And he makes some statements he makes some statements about our conception, our conception in the womb, and the role, listen, the role that God played in our conception in our mother's womb. And let me read it to you. Uh, Psalms 139, verse 13. <clears throat> King David said, for God, you formed my inward parts. And God, you knitted me together. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now, church, I find it fascinating that King David doesn't say, God, I was formed when my mother and father came together in a sexual union. I find it fascinating that that's not what he said. He very easily could have said that. I have a good feeling, and I'm fairly certain that David knew how babies were made at this point in his life, but that's not what he says. That's when he's talking about conception, he doesn't talk about the sexual union. <clears throat> he says, God... You were the one that formed me. King David said, God, you were the one that knitted me. Knitted, that's a strong word. You ever knitted something? It ain't easy. God, you were the one. I've actually tried. I have, a long time ago. You knitted me, God, in my mother's womb. That's a word in the Hebrew that means to weave together. He's saying, God, you were the one that did that. 
When I was inside my mother's womb, you were knitting me together. And here's the point that I think David is making. The realization is hitting David. He's saying, God, I'm getting it that I'm not here by accident. That I'm not here because of some random chance encounter of of a sperm and an egg. He's saying, God, I understand that it was your hand. It was your hand that caused me to have life. He's saying, God, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm breathing today, Lord, because you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And that just gets all over David. The thought of that, that he's not here by accident, that that God was looking at him and God was the one that was knitting and forming him. It gets all over him. And David starts to worship and Excuse me, in Psalms 139, verse 14, the, the next verse, David says, I praise you. He starts worshiping. God, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. For my frame, God, was not hidden from you when I was being made in, in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now look at verse 16, this is key here. And, he's, and he says, King David says, God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The key phrase there I want you to look at is your eyes, God, you saw my unformed substance. In church, in my opinion, My humble opinion, again, as a man that views all of life through the lens of the infallible and true word of God, to me, that absolutely ends the debate as to whether life begins at conception or not. It ends the debate. Because what the word of God, again, is saying here is that when I was an unformed substance, the eyes of the Lord were on me. When you were an unformed substance in your mother's wombs, the hand of the Lord was on you. He was on you. It says there, and I watch, watch this. He goes on there in verse 16. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And then he gets more specific. He says, in your book were written, past tense. In your book was written, every one of them, what? What was written in God's book, past tense? In your book was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet was none of them. God saw my unformed substance, and every single one of my days were written in his book, past tense, before I lived one of them. That means that God had a plan for my life, God knew my name, and all of my days were written, not when I was a toddler, Not when I was an infant, not when I was six weeks in my mother's womb, when the shape of my nose and my ears were forming, not at eight weeks in my mother's womb when I began hiccuping and frowning and burying my frow and and squinting, not at 18 weeks when I began to be able to hear my mother's heartbeat, or at 20 weeks when I began to suck my thumb, Not at 24 weeks when I was declared by doctors to be viable to survive outside my mother's womb. The scripture says that when I was an unformed substance, God's hand, his eyes, his plan was on my life. 
And so in regards to this specific issue of abortion, here's what we can't ever, ever, ever forget as people of God, that when we take a human life inside our mother's womb, we are destroying an image bearer of God. We're destroying a human life that bears the image and the likeness of God. When we take a human life, we're, we're destroying the, the one part of creation that God created so that we could be his representative. When we take a human life, really in any form, we're destroying an unformed substance whom the eyes of the Lord are upon and whose frame is being fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of the Lord in our mother's womb. And so church, whether you are, (coughs) whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you are Latino, whether you're a man, whether you are a woman, whether you have Down syndrome, whether you have cerebral palsy, whether you were born without limbs, whether you were born with fetal alcohol syndrome, and a list of a thousand other things, you have wonderful, and I would dare say infinite, value above all creation. Why? Because you are a human. And as a human, you're the only part of creation that God said, that one bears my image. And I wanna end today with this. I wanna, I wanna end today with offering just a couple of words of application a couple of applications here and we're done. I'll tell you it's gonna be short. But the first thing I wanna do is I wanna just talk briefly to anybody in this room who might have had an abortion in the past or if you're a guy who maybe have been party to it. I wanna tell you this and I wanna remind you today that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think the key word there is no. There is now, in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. You know, what what you did cannot be reversed, but what you did has been absolutely 100% paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no sin in your life whatsoever that is stronger or more powerful than the blood of Christ. There is none, okay? And God, when he views you, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, And this is true for every sin. If you're a Christian, when God views you, he doesn't view you through the lens of that one big sin in your life. God views you through the lens of the blood of Jesus and he says, that is my son, that is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. Can't ever forget that. And I'll tell you this, I've talked to many women over the years that have walked through this and that's like the one thing. That's like the one thing that they just can't ever forgive themselves for. And I want you to hear that today. If you're, if you're in the sound of my voice and that's where you're at, you can forgive yourself because Christ Jesus has already forgiven you. And your sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west, just like mine. And I will tell you this also. <clears throat> I believe this with all my heart. You'll see that child again. I believe that with all my heart. You'll see that child again and you will be with them in perfect love, in perfect joy, in perfect peace forever in heaven, okay? Now that brings us kind of to the second thing I wanna do, and I wanna, I wanna talk to everybody in the room that, that may have never had an abortion or been party to an abortion, but we've gotta remember that we cannot stand in judgment over women that have, it just wears me out when I'm watching the television or 
going by Planned Parenthood places and people are screaming and yelling and cursing and doing all these things to these women. Here's the thing that you and I, who, who may have never been party to an abortion, what we can never forget is there is not a person in this room that is not guilty of killing an innocent child. It was our sin. It was our sin that put the innocent son of God on the cross. And so we gotta remember that. As we engage in this culture, let us be people of empathy and love and Christ-likeness as we engage this subject in the culture. And lastly, I wanna brief just kind of the role that you and I ought to play. What is the role that you and I as Christians ought to, ought to play in the protection of the sanctity of life? And, 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 the, and the role that you and I need to play in the protection of the sanctity of life is we need to play a role in the protection of the sanctity of life. Throughout all of Christian history, Throughout all of Christian history, Christians have been the one that have been waving the banner of the sanctity of life. In the, in the Roman Empire, if you had a child that was born with Down syndrome, you just laid the child in the street and let it die. And it was Christians all that time ago that would walk down and they would see the child and they'd pick it up and they'd take it to their home and they'd raise it. Why? Because we know what the scripture says about us as human beings that we are made in the image and the likeness of God and represent him. We've always been the ones that have waved the banner of Christian life and we cannot be the generation that stops waving that banner. Guys, I'm gonna tell you, if you hadn't figured it out yet, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be popular. It's certainly not gonna be politically correct. But church, if you and I don't do it, nobody is gonna do it. We've gotta be the ones. And now we know why. Now we know why. You know, Tyler David um, is the downtown campus pastor. He's the guy that just runs the day-to-day operation of all of downtown campus. Um, We have campus pastors that are kind of overseeing campuses all over the city. Tyler David's the guy that, that oversees downtown. And and he told me a while back that for his sermon, he was gonna use a Dr. Seuss illustration. And I made fun of him. And um, because I was like, man, that's gonna be cheesy. And um, until I read his sermon, and it's really good. And I was just gonna steal it and not give him credit for it, but he's sitting on the front row. So this, this is Tyler's illustration. I was gonna make people think that you stole it from me when you preached tonight at the downtown campus. But he illustration he uses is from a Horton Here's a Who. Y'all ever read that, seen that movie? Here's the story. Horton's an elephant, and he hears this faint cry for help. He hears this faint cry for help, and he realizes that this cry is coming from this small speck of dust um, that's kind of floating around in the air, and so he learns that these cries are from, from this tiny speck are coming from the Who's of Whoville, and so he places this little speck of dust on a clover, and he carries that thing around. But as he's talking to him, he's talking to him. these people from this local jungle community, they come and they see him talking to a clover, and, and they don't see the people, and they don't hear the people, and so um, they don't like him acting this way, and so they demand him to stop. They're like, stop talking to the little people because there's no little people. And Horton tries, and he tries to explain it to him, and he tries to convince that these little people are real, but it's not working, and so what do they do? They start mocking him. Start belittling him, and they, they eventually steal his clover, and they hide the clover in a big field of clover to the point where they're thinking about destroying all the clover. And then, and, and yet, in the face of all this opposition, and at great cost 
to Horton. He continues to fight for her. He continues to protect these people. And through the entire story, Horton keeps saying this refrain. And it's pretty profound when you think about it in terms of what we're talking about it today. And as Christians, this ought to be our refrain too, moving forward. Horton said, should I put this speck down? Horton thought with great alarm. For if I do, these small persons may come to great harm. I can't put it down. And I won't. For after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. And that, my friends, is profoundly biblical. It's profoundly biblical. And so we need to be a church. We need to be a church that fights for and stands for life. That stands for life. Let's be a church that stands for and advocates for the value of the unborn. Let's be a church that stands for the value of the marginalized. Let us be a church that stands for the value of the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the orphan and the minority and the stranger and the enemy and the sojourner and every other people group that Jesus said that we as believers are to stand for. Why? Why? Because every one of them that I just shared and many others shares with us a common identity which is an image bearer of the one who knitted us together in our mother's limbs. All right, let's pray together. (coughs) Father, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. King David even goes on in the Psalms and he says that when I think about all the thoughts that you had of me, it would outnumber the seashore. I pray that whoever is in the sound of my voice today would would hear that and realize that they are not an accident, that they are here because they are loved and known intimately by the God of the universe. Father, if there's anybody in this room that has never trusted in what you did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might be yours, that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven of all of our sin, I pray that today would be the day that they would do that. And the best way they know how that they would just lean into you and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I, I trust in what you did on the cross for the give, forgiveness of my sins. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and courage in this culture to stand for what you stood for, regardless of what it cost us. I pray that we would be known for our love for the brothers. And I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's continue to worship him.